this time, if you would take your Bible, if you have one, and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our series, Rejoice in the Lord, a verse-by-verse study uh, through the book of Philippians. And uh, we're going to do our best to finish the second chapter today. So uh, as you're finding Philippians chapter number 2, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. If you're able to, Philippians chapter 2, and we'll uh, start reading in verse number 17, and we'll read down through verse 25, but I do hope to hit the rest of the chapter uh, throughout the message. Philippians 2 verse 17 says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. And with that, let's pray one more time together. Lord, we're thankful for uh, this book of the Bible. And uh, Lord, thank you for the fact that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, Lord, including this passage. And I pray that you would use this passage to encourage us, to challenge us, uh, to live the life that Christ has modeled before us and called us to. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, now give us ears to hear and a mind that is focused upon your word and a heart that is open to what you have for us. And Lord, I pray that again, we would be good hearers, but more than that, please help us to be good doers of what we hear. And uh, I pray, Lord, all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, most of us have heard the expression, the proof is in the pudding. But do you know where that expression came from? The original version is... This, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. That's the full original version of that expression. And what it meant was that you had to try out food in order to know whether it was good. And uh, it wasn't enough to say that it was good. You had to try it. It's kind of like my macaroni and cheese. I don't like to brag. But my macaroni and cheese is the best in the entire world. But again, I can say it, but until someone actually tries it, uh, it's not so. And so, in other words, the proof is in the pudding. Um, There's a verse in 1 John, and I'm not going to have you turn there. I actually have the verse that I'm going to put on the screen for us so we can see it. But 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 6 says, He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, 
even as he walked. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Look, it's one thing to say that you're abiding in Christ and that you love the Lord, but it's a whole other story to live it. In other words, the proof needs to be in the pudding. (laughs) And when it comes to the Christian life, all of us can look the part, all of us could say that we are abiding in Him, but friend, it's only going to be so if we're living it out. In chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul spends the first chunk of the chapter challenging and urging believers to live according to the way that Jesus walked. And when it comes to following the example of Jesus Christ and his mind of status, if you recall that message when we talked, uh, when we spent time talking uh, about Philippians 2, 5 through 8, we looked at uh, Christ's mind of service, his mind of status, his mind of submission, and his mind of sacrifice. And Paul is encouraging these believers and ultimately us to live according to that same mind, to let this mind be in us. But now here in verses 17 and the rest of the chapter, Paul now gives three living examples of those who actually did that, who actually endeavored to live with the mind of Christ. And so this morning, I want us to notice three illustrations of those who lived what Paul was preaching and some of their characteristics that he highlighted in their lives. And and in their lives, the proof was in the pudding. It wasn't necessarily something that was, it wasn't just seen, it wasn't just said, it was lived out. It was an excellent illustration of, of people that actually lived according to what Paul was preaching here. And of course, if these three can do that, hopefully we can too. So who are these three individuals? Well, a couple of them, their names were mentioned, but the first one, the name wasn't mentioned, but it is Paul himself. Number one, notice Paul, who was a servant in the fetters. A servant in the fetters. Now, if you recall where Paul was when he wrote the book of Philippians, he wasn't on a yacht sipping a lemonade. He was in a Roman prison in uh, Chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So first he referred to himself as a servant, and then we also saw that he was indeed in the fetters, in the bonds, in the chains, and imprisoned for the faith. So Paul uses himself as the first example in verses 17 and 18, not because he thought he was most important, not because he said, okay, folks, I'm going to show you an example. Everybody look at me. No, the reason he's being first is because uh, he wanted to lead by example. And he was acting like a true leader who never calls upon his people to do anything that he would not do himself. A true leader doesn't say, all right, everybody go do this. And no, I'm going to sit back and watch you all do it. No, a true leader is willing to do what they ask their followers to do as well. And Paul was one of those individuals, one of those type of leaders. He was like General Patton, one of the finest and and most controversial military figures in World War II. He did not send his men into battle. No, he led them into battle. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse number 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice 
and service of your faith. I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause. Also do you joy and rejoice with me. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look, here's how we're to live. We're to have the mind of Christ. And I'm not just saying you need to do it. I do too. And here's my life to back it up. And so in these verses, in verses 17 and 18, we see a couple characteristics of the Apostle Paul that uh, show that he was having the mind of Christ in his life. First of all, we see that he was surrendered. We see that he was surrendered. In verse number 17, he said, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. That word offer is a... Uh, is a uh, Metaphor going back to the early days of the Old Testament when there was a drink offering. Because see, when the priests would offer an animal as a sacrifice, they would also pour out a liquid, which was usually water or honey, as a drink offering. And this drink offering represented that um, the savor of the sacrifice was to be pleasing to God. And uh, he uses that metaphor to say that if his life was pleasing to God, he would not count it as a waste that he would rejoice to give his life for Christ. See, the picture is Paul being spent and poured out in service for the cause of Christ and for the Philippian church. In many ways, he was good with the will of God, and he was surrendered to the will of God in his life, whether it meant life or if it meant death. He was okay with the will of God. Look in uh, chapter 1, verse number 20. Again, Paul was in prison. He didn't know if he was going to be released. He didn't know if he was going to die in that prison. He really didn't know. But he was fine either way. In chapter 1, verse 20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always so now Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life, Or by death, he said, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of here, but I want Christ to be magnified in my life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, pretty much either one is good with me. If I continue living and serving the Lord, then praise the Lord. But, But if I die, then boy, great is my reward. And I am so looking forward to being in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And he goes on down in verses 22 and 23, and he says, I'm not sure which I would prefer the most. And so he was surrendered to the will of God. He was convinced that God knew what was best, and he desired that God's will would be done. He followed the example of Jesus, his Savior, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. And the Apostle Paul was surrendered to the will of God and said, Look, if it means going through good things, then I'm for it. If it means going through great suffering, I'm good with it. It didn't matter the circumstances. Paul was surrendered to the will of God, even if it meant great suffering. And by the way, few men in history suffered like the Apostle Paul. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul talked about his labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequent. In deaths oft, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, 
Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Look, the circumstances were less than ideal for most of his ministry, and yet he remained surrendered to the will of God. Like most of us, at least me, I guess I'll speak for myself in this situation, as we read through that litany of things that Paul went through in his ministry, I probably would have called a timeout in the middle of it and said, okay, enough is enough. This must not be the will of God anymore, because look at all the suffering I'm going through. I mean... Another beating, another time in prison, maybe God's trying to tell me that I shouldn't be doing this anymore. And that's how a lot of Christians would approach the will of God if they were faced with those type of situations. I want to encourage all of us to stay surrendered to the will of God, even if it means going through great times of trial and great times of suffering. Not that anyone wants that, but if it, me- if it means the will of God being done, then all of us should say, yes, Lord, sign me up. Paul was that way. He said, look, if I be offered upon the sacrifice, then I joy and rejoice with you all. I, I would be happy to do this. Would you be happy to go through great times of sorrow or even lose your life for the sake of God's will? Paul certainly was. Andrew Murray, a great theologian of yesteryear, once said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. A life that is in complete surrender to him, God says, I am well able to take responsibility of that life. Paul was such a man, and God used him in a great way, no doubt, no question. Paul was a great example to us in that he was surrendered. But not only was he surrendered, he was also selfless. He said, look, if, if, this, if my death, if my martyrdom means that you as a church can go forward and you can continue growing and profiting spiritually, then so be it. He didn't think about himself. He thought about the needs of others. And certainly that is having the mind of Christ in us. Because when, we're, when we have the mind of Christ, we're not thinking about little old me. A lot of us, we take the time to think about ourselves. I was reading a, an article, I think it was yesterday, about uh, the words that are commonly used by those who are in Great Depression. Those who are going through a time of depression and the, the type of verbiage and, and the words that they choose to use in their writings and their posts and then their text messages and just the words that they use in their vocabulary during those seasons of life usually are me, I, my. It's personal pronouns. They're just thinking about themselves. And look, the idea is that we're not, the more you think about yourself, the more depressed and low you get. Paul was not such a lonely man. I mean, there was reason for him to be lonely, no doubt, because he was there in prison. But instead, he chose to not think about himself. He chose to think about this church family, which led him to write this whole book in the first place. 
Paul said to the church at Corinth, and he could have said the same thing to uh, the church at Philippi, and that is 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He said, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. He said, if, if it means me being consumed so that you can continue flourishing spiritually, then I'm for it. Sign me up. He had the mind of Christ and that he was surrendered to the will of God and he was selfless. He wasn't always thinking about number one. He was thinking about others. And I want to encourage us to have the mind of Christ and like Paul did and be surrendered to the will of God, even if it means going through difficulties and not always just thinking about ourselves and how easy it is for us to do that, to think about ourselves. So first example here of someone who is living out what he's preaching is the Apostle Paul himself. But secondly, notice number two here, Timothy was another man that we notice, and he was a son in the faith. And this is found in verse number 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I may also that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served me in the gospel. So Paul, so Paul was in prison, and he cared about what was going on in the the church at Philippi, and he realized, I may not get there to find out myself, so I'm going to send my right-hand man, Timothy, to go and find out how you're doing. But Timothy, as we read these verses, it indicates that he also was a man who didn't just say that he abided in Christ, oh, he also proved it by his life. And here's what the Apostle Paul said about him. First, he said he was like-minded, he was like-minded. In verse number 20, he says, For I have no man like-minded. I like that word. When I was talking to Brother Randy way back in March of 2018, when he called me while we were about ready to have dinner, my wife and I, on a date at Silver Star Restaurant, by the way, if you ever get to Helena, go to Silver Star Steakhouse. It is a delicious restaurant. We were sitting there about ready to celebrate our businesses, starting to gain some traction. We received this call from Oklahoma, and it was a Randy Nutt from Moore, Oklahoma. And as we began to talk, and the next day we talked even further and realized that we are indeed like-minded in so many ways. And it was such a blessing to know that our hearts were beginning to knit because we were on the same page doctrinally. We were on the same page ministry, philosophy, and standards. And it was such a blessing. It was such an encouragement. Like-minded. And Timothy was that way with the Apostle Paul. And, and, and there was something special. There was a unique bond because of that. It wasn't like he just bought into what Paul said because he feared if he didn't, then he would have to face the wrath of the apostle. No, no, no. This was something that Timothy bought in himself as well. It was not something that he was uh, going to do just because, well, the apostle Paul told me to do it, so I better say it. I better teach the same stuff. No, no, no. 
This was something that Timothy believed himself. You know, Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, How can two, this is a great question, how can two walk together except they be agreed? How can two walk together except they be agreed? You can walk together, but it's going to be hard to know what to talk about when you're walking together if you're not agreed. Now, I know we're all individual and we all have unique beliefs and unique intricacies. I get that. But on the big things, we need to be on the same page. And as a church family, it's important for us all to be like-minded. Again, that's not to say that we can't be unique and, and, and different, but we need to be on the same page when it comes to the doctrinal truth that we believe. We need to be united. We need to be of the same mind. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your conversation be, as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, and that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. God wants us to be like-minded. Look, I realize that our church is not for everybody. I, I wish everybody was part of our church, but I realize that not everybody is going to be. But I want people who are here in our church who are going to be united doctrinally and united in ministry philosophy and united in purpose to reach this, nation, reach this world with the gospel of Christ through our missions program, but also here in our own Jerusalem by going out and, and uh, giving the gospel out here in our own neighborhood and not just around the world, but also around the corner. J. Vernon McGee in his commentary on this verse said, and I like this as I was reading that and study for this, I, I went, amen. He said, we don't need a national council or world council of churches to bring men together. In fact, we don't need any organization to bring them together. If they both have the mind of Christ, they are together. Amen, Brother McGee. I agree with that. And look, we need to be of the same mind. And Timothy was like-minded, and that was a great encouragement to the Apostle Paul. But not only was Paul or Timothy like-minded, he was also loving. We see in verse number 20, For I have no man like-minded, and then here it is, who will naturally care for your state. There was something about Timothy that Paul knew that, boy, once he got there, he wasn't going to be Mr. Dictator. He wasn't going to be Mr. You know, whipping everybody into shape. No, he was going to naturally care. The, word, the Greek word for naturally here gives an insinuation of being genuine or sincere. And so when he got there, he was going to genuinely and sincerely and naturally love and care for these people. Look, being a minister is much more than preaching the truth, though it must include that. I must be a preacher of the truth if I'm going to be the pastor of Cornerstone Baptist Church. But it's more than just preaching. And so some people will jokingly say, boy, must be nice to only work one day a week or two days a week. I forgot you have Wednesday night services, so okay, two days a week. Look, being a pastor is much more than just preaching the truth. It's caring for the state of the flock. And Timothy was willing to do that, and Timothy was a man who had love in his heart for those around him. And certainly that definitely is living with the mind of Christ, because no one was greater in love than Jesus was for those around him. 
So Timothy, he was like-minded, he was loving, but notice thirdly here, he was loyal. He was loyal. Look in verse number uh, 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, verse 22, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. First of all, we see that he was loyal to his master. His master was Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, Paul makes this statement, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ." insinuating that Timothy was one who decided to seek the things which mattered to the Lord Jesus. In a day when others were were seeking their own agenda, their own pleasure, their own comfort, there was one who sought for the things that mattered. What about you? Are you seeking the things that matter to the Lord? Before you answer that question, let's mention a few things that matter to Christ. because it's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm seeking the things that matter to the Lord. But what are the things that matter to the Lord? Well, I've listed a few of them here, and there's others I'm sure we could talk about. But first of all, what matters to the Lord is His Word. The Bible says in uh, Psalm 138 and verse number 2 that He has magnified His Word above His name. So the Word of God is important to God and important to Christ. Should it be important to us? Yes. So are you seeking the things which are Jesus Christ? Do you have a time where you read God's Word? Are you taking the time to hide these memory verses in your heart that we have on Sundays and Wednesdays? Is the Word of God important to you? Are you seeking it? Are you seeking to know it? Are you endeavoring to be a good student of the Word of God? Some of us are maybe going to school. I, I, the young people are going to school. And maybe those of us who are a little older, we're not necessarily maybe enrolled in an actual class. But listen, none of us should stop learning the Word of God. So are you seeking the things that matter to the Lord? His Word. His church is important to Him. It's so important to Him that He shed His own blood for the church. He gave Himself for it. You remember Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So his church is important. Are you seeking the things that help the church? Are you involved in the church? Are you faithful to the services of the church? Are you faithful to uh, being involved in inviting others to the church and and, uh, getting the gospel out? So are you seeking the things that matter to the Lord, His Word, His church? The Great Commission is important, so much so that He repeated it five times in His Word, once in all the Gospels and then once in the book of Acts, to go out into all the world and preach the Gospel. Or are you seeking your own? Or are you seeking the things that matter to the Lord Jesus? His word matters to him. His church matters to him. The Great Commission matters to him. By the way, marriage matters to him as well. Jesus talked about marriage and taught about marriage. Marriage is an important part of society, an important part of the Christian life. For those of us who are married, what kind of uh, investment are you making in your marriage? You're only supposed to have one spouse. 
So treat that spouse well and invest in that spouse. Again, it's important to Jesus. He talked about it. He taught about it in his ministry. And in his word, it's mentioned several different times and instruction given regarding it. It's important to him. It ought to be important to us. What else? Raising children who know the truth, who walk in the truth, and who share the truth. It's important to him. He's put it in his word for us as parents to train our children in the things of the Lord. Not to necessarily delegate to the church, not necessarily to delegate to someone else, but for us to take the responsibility on ourselves to get the gospel to our own children, like Noah did with his family, with his children, to get on the ark. It's our responsibility as parents to make sure that our children get on the ark of salvation and make sure that they know the truth that they walk in truth, and that they share the truth in their lives. These are the things that matter to Jesus. So like Timothy, who wasn't seeking his own, but instead the things that matter to Jesus Christ, do you fall into that same category? I know a lot of people in our culture spend a lot of their time and their energy focusing on other things like sports. And for those who know me, even just a little bit, know that I am a sports fan. I watched my Dallas Stars lose the second game of their season last night. And they're 0-2. And you're laughing. It's not funny. (laughs) I'm over here crying, and she's laughing. Look, we give our attention and energy and money to these things. And it's not necessarily wrong in its place and if it's in moderation, but but some people don't understand sports in moderation should be in the same sentence. Sports, wealth. Well, I just need more money, so I need to work more. Forget my marriage, forget time with my kids, forget church attendance. I need to work overtime. I need that extra money. I need to build my wealth. Fun. Look, I like to have fun. Fun is not wrong. Do you realize the word fun is not in the Bible? Again, God's not against fun. But the emphasis of our lives should not be focused on just fun all the time. These are not bad by themselves, but when we give our energy, our time, money, and our focus to, they become Uh, They become our idols, and these are not the things which are Jesus Christ. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Timothy was a man who was loyal to his master because he sought the things that mattered to Jesus Christ. Are you loyal to your master? Do you seek the things that matter to Jesus Christ? Is that where your focus is? Is that where your emphasis is? I'm not saying you can't have money. I'm not saying you can't enjoy sports or have fun. Good things in their place. But is the overarching focus and seeking of your life the things that are your own? Or are they the things that matter to Jesus? Timothy was a man who chose to focus his life on the things that mattered to Christ. But he was loyal not only to his master, but also to his mentor, Look in verse number 22. Ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served me with me in the gospel. 
Now, we just got done reading the litany of things that Paul went through in his ministry, and these were not wonderful accolades, you know. He didn't get put up on a platform and, and uh, have a standing ovation. He didn't have that very much in his ministry. It was rather looking over his shoulder, okay, am I probably going to get stoned today? Am I going to get whipped today, get 39 stripes again? He had that five times. Am I gonna, what prison am I going to end up in today? And you know who was with him? Timothy. And I'm sure there were probably people in, in the ministry in that day that were maybe a little jealous of Timothy. But you know what? They didn't have to deal with the trials that Timothy went through as well. Timothy was loyal to his mentor, Paul. In the good times and definitely in the bad because there were a lot of them. And Timothy was a man who was willing to stay true to his, to his mentor. Now, not everybody was loyal to Paul. You remember Demas? Demas was in the ministry with Paul and followed him and worked alongside Paul. But here's what Paul eventually said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. Tim, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I, you know, before we get too hard on Demas... Picture yourself walking with Paul. Those same uh, opportunities to be uh, in, going through difficult times and trial and suffering. And, and finally, Demas was like, you know what? Uh, this is getting old. I'm really tired of looking over my shoulder. There's a better offer. I can just make a little money and I can be with my family. I'm just going to go do that. So Demas did, and he's known as a quitter. But not Timothy. Timothy was faithful. He was loyal. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, For this cause, Paul said, I've sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ. So I would encourage all of us to not be fickle Christians. Like, I'll be a part of the church so long as you're telling me what I want to hear. But the moment you start saying something I don't want you to say, then boy, I'm out of there. Where's the door? Because there's a lack of commitment in our culture today, unfortunately. But I'm thankful for men like the man by the name of Timothy who was loyal through thick and thin. And so we see the Apostle Paul was a man who lived according to the mind of Christ. And Timothy was one as well. And then thirdly, and lastly, this morning, Epaphroditus was a man as well, and he was a soldier in the fight. Verse number 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brethren, companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. And let's go ahead and read down through verse 30 here. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. Because that he had heard that he had, because that he, ye had heard that he had been sick, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Well, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. And look at verse thirty because. For the work of Christ, 
he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Now, not a lot in the Bible is known of the man Epaphroditus, except for this passage here in chapter 2, and one verse in chapter 4, verse number 18, where it says, But I have all and abound and am full, and having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. And that's the only time this man is mentioned in all of Scripture. Well, in both cases, Epaphroditus is seen as a faithful soldier in the fight alongside the Apostle Paul, and he was intensely involved in the work of God here in this local church. While we don't know much about him, Paul certainly did, and so did the church at Philippi. But in these verses, here's what we learn about him. First of all, he was a companion. He was a companion, verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor. Paul was so thankful for this brother as he, as he served the Lord, he appreciated those who stood by him and helped him. I mean, it was a tough ministry that Paul had, and, and for those who stayed by his side, for those who helped him along the way, boy, he was so encouraged and appreciated so much. Epaphroditus was one such man. He was his brother, he says, brother in Christ, yes, but I would say also brother in the ministry companion in labor and fellow soldier. Uh, what, great, what great adjectives to give to someone. And uh, what an honor this was for Epaphroditus to receive these uh, words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. As I thought about a companion, I thought about the fact that God has called me and this church to reach this town with the gospel of Christ. Right, that's, that's what God's called us to do, and, and certainly the world through our missions program. But God's called us here in Moore, Oklahoma, to reach this area for Christ. I want to be very upfront with you this morning. I cannot do that alone. I wish I could. If I could, I would. I can certainly do my part, and by God's grace, I will do my part. But I cannot do it alone. I need some companions. I need some brothers and sisters in the faith. I need some fellow soldiers to come alongside and strive together for the faith of the gospel. I need you to be my companions as we reach more Oklahoma with the gospel of Christ. Will you be my companion? If it, if it helps you, I could uh, put my shoe on and say, won't you be my neighbor won't you be my companion? As we go and get the gospel to more Oklahoma, look, God's put you in the neighborhood. He's put you in for a reason to reach your neighbors. Yes, I can knock on their doors as well, but there's a reason God has you living where he has you living. He's put you in the job that he's put you, not by accident, not just to get a paycheck. No, but also to be a missionary to that company. He's put you in the school, teenagers, that he's put you in, not by accident. Not because your parents are like, oh, this is a good school, we'll just put you in here. Or this is a school we just live close to. Look, God's put you there to make a difference for him. God's going to put people in your lives that I will never come in, come in contact with. I will never cross paths with. 
Who's going to reach those people that come across the path of your life? If you don't, then who? Look, we need to be companions in the ministry. I realize that, you know, I do this full time, so to speak. But look, every believer needs to be a full time minister. You may not get a paycheck necessarily, and and I'm not. Look, we all need to be serving the Lord. Let's be companions in the work of God. So Epaphroditus, first of all, was a companion. Secondly, he was compassionate. Notice here verse 25, uh, the end of that verse, but your messenger, and then here it is, and he that ministered to my wants. He was compassionate to the needs of of the Apostle Paul and took notice of those needs and, and did what he could to meet those needs. He was compassionate enough to not just see the need, but he met that need. And then in verse 26, it says, He longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. And so he thought, oh, no, I don't want them worrying about me. I don't want them focused on me. There's more important things for them to focus on. I don't want them to, to think about me. And so he was full of heaviness. And once again, we see someone who cared for others and wasn't just thinking about himself. This man served the Apostle Paul and cared for the feelings of the Philippian believers. He realized this life is not just about him. It's about serving the Lord by serving others. And it really is not about me. And it should not be all about you. It should be about serving the Lord by serving others. And Epaphroditus had that characteristic. But then thirdly, he had the characteristic of being committed. He was committed. Really, verse 30 is is the key verse in this, and and we'll just kind of focus on that one here for sake of time. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Now, praise the Lord, he did not die at this point. Um, And uh, God had had mercy on him and raised him up, and he was able to continue on serving. But in verse 30, he says, not regarding his life. He said, look, I'm not concerned about living or dying. I want to just be faithful. He was committed. He was committed. Now look, committing your life to Christ is a risk to everything earthly and an investment in everything eternal. Epaphroditus had completely spent himself in the work of God. He had followed his mentor who said, and I quoted this verse earlier, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Epaphroditus had that same mentality when it came to serving the Lord. It's like, hey, I want to be used up for the Lord. Is it worth it though? Well, missionary Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And it was Jesus who said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For it shall profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Often when we ask for a person's signature, We will call it there John Hancock. I have here a copy of the, uh, no, this is not the original document. But this is a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Of the 56 signatures on the Declaration of Independence, one stands out above the rest. And that signature, of course, belongs to John Hancock. 
He was the first to sign the declaration, and he signed it in a large and legible script so that the king of England could read his name without using glasses. Mr. Hancock wanted to be very clear where his allegiance lay. His commitment to his country was so clear that when King George III offered amnesty to all who would cease fighting, John Hancock was among the select few who were left out of the order. Has your signature let your king know your dedication and your commitment and where you stand? Or are you going to say, I'm going to serve as long as my life is so blessed? As long as everything turns out well. Epaphroditus said, look, I'm not going to even regard my life. Look, if the Lord should take my life, so be it. He, it, it's his life anyway. And I want to encourage us to have a life of commitment as well. Remember the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62? No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. God's not looking for someone who's going to just try it out and see how it goes. He's looking for someone who's going to be committed Every believer is called into full-time ministry. We must be committed to standing for the truth. We must be committed to sharing the truth. And Epaphroditus was committed to both, and so should we. None of us are apostles, but we are all epistles. I read a story this week about a man by the name of Dr. Bill Rice, who was an evangelist many, many years ago. There's a camp named after him. And our church has taken teenagers there for summer camp over the years. The Bill Rice Ranch. Well, Dr. Bill Rice was holding a revival meeting at a church with his family. They were being housed in an apartment a few blocks from the church. And one night, his family, his wife and family went back to the apartment after the service. And Dr. Rice followed sometime after. Well, when he got there, his wife said, you know, honey... We could use a few items for breakfast in the morning. Would you mind heading to the store and picking those up? He said, not at all. In fact, there's a little market just a couple blocks down the street. I'll go ahead and walk. So he grabbed his wallet and headed for the store. As he entered the market, he got a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread and proceeded to the counter to pay for the items. As he set the items down, the lady at the register reached down and pulled out pornographic magazine, placed it in front of Dr. Rice and said, would you like anything else, sir? Dr. Rice looked down, realized what it was, quickly lifted his eyes and responded, no, ma'am. She pushed the magazine a little closer to him. Are you sure? Without taking his eyes off of her, he said, I'm absolutely sure. Just the milk and the bread, please. The lady totaled up the two items. Dr. Rice handed her some money. She received it, gave him change, bagged the items, and he headed for the door. As he reached the door, the lady said, Have a good evening, Evangelist Rice. You see, she had been in the service that night and had heard him preach. and was wondering if he was going to live what he preached. 
2 Corinthians 3 and verse 2 says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. So people are reading your life and mine as believers. And so are we living with the mind of Christ? Again, as we said at the beginning, the proof is in the pudding. You can say that you are. You can look like you are. But are you really? There were three men here in uh, Philippians chapter 2 who chose to live with the mind of Christ. A man who was a servant in the fetters, the Apostle Paul did. A son in the faith, Timothy. He lived according to the mind of Christ. A soldier in the faith, Epaphroditus did. But what about the saints in the future? What about you? What about me? Will we live with the mind of Christ? Will we and I be surrendered to the will of God? Will we be selfless? Will we be like-minded? Will we be loving and loyal? Would you and I be willing to work together as companions? Would we have compassion for those around us? And would we be committed to the work no matter what? Well, the proof is in the pudding. They already did it. Now it's our turn. What will you do? Let's have prayer together this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for the example of Paul, of Timothy, of Epaphroditus, who were living examples of, of someone who was willing to live with the mind of Christ. Lord, if they can do it, we can too. Lord, we're made of the same flesh and blood. We have the same tendencies. We have the same feelings and emotions and, and struggles. I pray, Lord, you would help us to indeed have this mind which was in Christ Jesus be in us. Help us, Lord, to do that. To not just talk about it, to not just appear like we are, but to really actually live it.